Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a duo. I've got JC Abattoir and Michael Chandler, the co-founders of one of the first global sales and order management software businesses for global redmates, PrimeX Connect. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Elise. Thanks, Liz. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you decide who wants to kick it off from your end. But can you explain a bit more about what does the business do? Yeah, absolutely. I'll kick off. So it's Michael Chandler here. The idea was a purely original idea that came from, I guess, going back to uni and doing a master's degree and coming across, I dare say, one of the only PhD thesis written on Australia's red meat supply chain. My background was financial technology, so adding technology and taking out manual duplication of effort, human touch, et cetera, et cetera, for straight through process. And reading this PhD thesis, I had come across our red meat industry and the supply chain from paddock to plate. And it just popped out that there were an immense amount of opportunities for improvement with manual duplication of effort across the supply chain. So that's where I guess the idea was born. Uh, Then spent close to a year validating the hypothesis that if you were to add a level of digitisation between the buyer and the seller to take out the phone, the fax, the email, the text, the WeChat, the WhatsApp, spreadsheets, post-it notes, would that have legs? Would there be an opportunity there? And overwhelming response from the industry was absolutely yes. There's certain things that will work, there's certain things that won't, but certainly digitisation between the buyer and the seller and the ability to take out that manual duplication of effort to kill off um, the paper would absolutely have legs. So that's where Primex was born as a sales and order management software for soft commodity, launching initially in red meat to add that digitisation, risk mitigation, increase efficiency between the buyer and the seller, be be that domestic or international. Sounds like an industry right for disruption. We see that across the technology landscape, a lot of the businesses that are, you know, as you say, post-its, <laughs> the form yeah. of uh, business. If I think about who are your customers, are they the farmers on there or are they more, um, you know, those that are already supplying and the distributors? Who do you see yep. as that, that customer? Yeah, the customer for us very much is a vertically integrated processor. So we sit between the processor or the abattoir, for want of a better term, the boutique brands that might be using a third-party processor to process their product and the buyer. So first and foremost, we're very much B2B. We don't go down to consumer. So we're very much that link between the big industrial wholesale processes, if you will, and their buying universe domestically, internationally. This might be one for you as well, JC or Michael. What is the revenue and pricing model? So the the model is a combination of commissions on transactions through the platform and then licensing, traditional SaaS-type licensing. The reason is because this industry really understands commission-based model and we've engineered that pricing strategy, I guess, to, you know, be more performance-based purely versus a straight-through typical enterprise license model as well and combine both of those together. Yeah, makes sense. And then what is your geographical footprint today and where do you see that evolving to over the next, say, couple of years? Yep. So the focus is Australian New Zealand and we're growing rapidly. Our early adopters were out of the New Zealand market predominantly. We spent a lot of time in Australia. We spent a lot of time in New Zealand, but we've seen really great adoption and growth initially in New Zealand. But that's all changing. We've had a really good year this year with growing our footprint and penetration into the Australian market. Combined the A and Z, if you will, domestic and international market, 
equates for close to circa $40 billion. So that's a big market and that's geographically proximate to where we are and that's what we're going after. But obviously we've done a lot of work over the years with associations, with direct market participants, trade shows, et cetera, for the larger export markets such as LATAM and US. We've done a lot of work there. So over the next couple of years, you'll definitely see us popping up in those markets as well. And how do you tap into those markets? What's that go-to-market strategy? Yeah, good question. Um, Our relationships are hugely important, and I don't just mean that. This industry is very, very much relationship-based. So we don't use your traditional sort of advertising. We have spent a lot of time, a lot of effort going out and meeting the industry face-to-face. We partnered with Austrade, we partnered with the associations, the peak advisory and association bodies to go out and meet face-to-face, to go through the processing plants, to go out and meet in the offices and grow those relationships. We wanted to slowly, we wanted to go respectfully, we wanted to understand the industry, understand our customers, understand the pain points of where we can improve. So to answer your question, being so uh, relationship focused, we work with our sellers very, very closely to understand their business, understand the opportunities for improvement. Mm-hmm. We do that by workshops. We do that over a long period of time. And then Primex is adopted as the new medium of exchange. We are not a sometimes thing. We are not a marketplace. We are not a list and auction model. We are not there to, you know, blast out offers and promotions for anyone on the internet to basically bid. We are a sophisticated bit of kit that sits in their ecosystem. So we spend a fair bit of time going out and working with the seller to become the new portal, their new shop front, if you will, for their known trusted buyers. So we work with the seller, if you will, to then onboard their buying universe. And we do that in tranches. We do that in markets. We do that in buying types, et cetera. And we onboard and train those buyers. So that's basically how we go to market. It's very relationship-based. It's very much a personal relationship. It's understanding their business. The adoption of Primex is then rolled out to their buying universe. I'm curious because that sounds like quite a sticky relationship given the number of steps. Is it relatively easy for them to change if there was to say another platform that comes through or they kind of build that relationship with you that you don't really see them switch? Yeah, we don't really see switching. Given the nature of the relationship, we are plugging into their existing architecture. So we're not an ERP, we're not a CRM. We're very much have a, a laser focused on who we are, but we connect with those systems. There's an integration there with those systems, whether that be sending and receiving a file or whether that be a direct API connectivity. So we become part of the ecosystem. We become part of the furniture. So no, we're not We're not a sometimes thing. We've very much become part of their entire stack or their entire offering. I think you mentioned 40 bill, just the addressable market here. How much do you capture of that today and how do you see the industry drivers? Yep, so... We're growing in New Zealand. We've got a really good footprint, as I said before. We're growing our market share in New Zealand and we're starting to do that here in Australia. So we only capture a small portion of that, but it's still early days. We sit in in a really interesting dynamic space in that the biggest drivers for our industry is global population growth. Okay, so estimated 9 billion by 2050 and global consumption meat is up 58% over the last 20 years. The driver for that is emerging economies who are, have more disposable income, who are able to change their, their diet or their preference types, and that's just exponentially growing. So we sit whereby we have some of the best product in the world, we have some of the best safety, highest standards in the world in Australia and New Zealand, and the driver there is to feed the world. Given the amount of product that we produce in export, we've got enough product to feed close to 73 million people. Okay, so we're an export economy. So the drivers are very much being one of the mainstay export nations to be able to feed a growing world. 
Mm, yeah, it makes sense. And then let's move on to your competitive landscape. Who do you see as your more competitors? Are there others out there doing the same thing? I mean, I think if you look at the competitive landscape, the biggest challenge for us is behavioural change, where a lot of these relationships and a lot of the deals that are done are done across multiple different mediums of exchange, whether it's you know email, phone calls, WeChat, WhatsApp. And that's kind of the biggest challenge in terms of a competitor. It's existing behaviour and moving our customers into this new way of managing their sales and orders. I mean, we're very laser-focused on fixing a real inefficiency in the supply chain and that manual process. As Mike said, we're not a marketplace. We're definitely not an ERP and we're definitely not a CRM and we're not replacing those relationships with a screen. And I think if you, you know, look at where fintech was say 10 years ago or even 15 years ago and you think about you know these traditional large enterprise software platforms they're kind of like the banks mm. they're very massive very complex very expensive lots and lots of different moving parts trying to do lots and lots of different things we're super focused on really one particular slice and that's the highest value piece of the process which is that sales relationship and that effectively generating a sale for the company Mm. and that's the place we sit and so you know we don't really compete with a lot of those other enterprise platforms we complement them and we sit on top of those and we basically build an interface between those internal systems and those external customers and create a really efficient way for those buyers and sellers to transact communicate and manage that whole sale through the whole life cycle and then actually build that relationship over time and start to shift that into a central dashboard so that's kind of i guess where we'd see our competition is you know, switching behavior really yeah and so do you see and identify you know your category as being say supply chain management or is it more than that it's really b2b e-commerce is the way to think about it not in the traditional you know, shopping cart model because we're not a shopping cart. I guess the innovation in what we're doing is that we're very chat-driven. So the way that you transact and you manage sales on Primex is a combination of real-time chat mm-hmm. and actual order creation. And those two different parts of the system work together to actually generate that sale. So we're not a, a listed auction model like my said. We're not a shopping cart. It's really bringing two people together a buyer and a seller who have a relationship offline and it's making that process of them working together to achieve a sale and agree on a price and agree on a deal, putting that into a digital environment where they can actually have those conversations together, agree on a price and then execute a trade. And then that fundamentally sends that data into the supply chain to trigger and start that whole process of producing the materials and, and shipping the materials. So we're kind of at that real inflection point where that deal's done. And when you're having these conversations, do you find that the uptake, you know, does it take a year or two years or a couple of months or days for that distributor to say, yes, I'm going to take up this product and I'm super keen? And then once they've made that decision, how long does that rollout and implementation process take? I mean, I think typically you're going into a couple of different environments with a customer. You've either got a customer who's migrating to the cloud and so they're already building a roadmap and they've got a strategy in which they know they need to move into the cloud and they're looking at different technology solutions that they can put into an overall technology stack to manage their supply chain and then we come into that process 
and they've kind of progressed a lot of their thinking and they can see how we sit in amongst a stack of different technologies, ERP, CRM, logistics, documentation management, and sort of we are that kind of communications layer, that customer portal. And so they have a pretty clear vision of how we sit in that and the go-to-market with those customers, you know, is in parallel with what else they're doing. And that might be, depends where we come in. It could be a three to six month process. It could be a 12 month process, but it's a process where we're working alongside them. Then you have other customers that don't necessarily have a huge infrastructure outside of their ERP, their production Mm -hmm. systems that manufacture all their goods. And so they're looking at a solution, you know, in the cloud, they know they've got to be there, but they want to look at innovative ways that they can, you know, basically get their customers and their sales teams into a digital environment and they're looking into the you know marketplace and saying well what software can help support that and then we're coming into those situations and so there's less legacy systems perhaps and it's a lot quicker and faster to get something up and running and start you know basically transforming that business into this new way of working it really depends on the sort of maturity i guess of the customer but there's definitely a huge appetite for innovation in our industry and there's a real willingness to you know transform the way that they're doing business and especially you know during covid the last 18 months the concept of remote working and having access to those internal systems and being able to reach their customers wherever they are through digital platforms mobile and web in real time has become a real critical need for these customers yeah i do think yeah jean claude that covid has accelerated the structural shift across all industries it's kind of brought forward that adoption curve and just one quick point i mean all of our customers use consumer technology they all use wechat they use whatsapp they use facebook you know they understand those modes of communication we're simply those types of platforms we're the same solution we're chat driven basically e-commerce but we're in a b2b business environment that's all yeah and how easy is it for others to replicate what you do i know we mentioned earlier about the relationship component do you think there's anything from a technology standpoint that could prevent others from copying what you're doing is there anything beyond those relationships that you're getting that first mover advantage that could stop others from you know coming into your space Yeah, from a tech side, we've got a global pattern, which is really exciting at enhancing more on the chat functionality that JC mentioned before and building orders off real-time inventory within chat, which is pretty exciting. That's a differentiator from any other technology out there or especially chat-driven technology, which we're super excited about. I guess one way to answer that is that, you know, any technology is able to be replicated, but um, I think the work that we've done, the relationship that we've built and the way in which we embed into the system in receiving that information from third-party applications to doing the transaction to feeding out pings up and down the supply chain, the work that we've done within the industry to gain that trust, to gain that bit of respect. And I guess also, too, there's a bit of a nod towards longevity. I think I've heard a couple of times, um, you know, you boys are still here, so you must be doing something right, whereas others have gone before and, and maybe not. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of just working through the industry and winning that trust and respect, which is great. So, yeah, it's a combination of the tech, but it's also to how you go about it. Yeah. And then let's move to the economics of the business. What do you find is the biggest input cost today? You did mention the R&D, or is that largely done now that it's about sales and marketing? Where do you find Um, that dollar's going and where do you see it trending? I mean, the the biggest input cost for any technology business is labour, especially in Australia. And especially with COVID and borders closing, you know, if you think about in the last 18 months, obviously labour shortages in terms of skilled migrants coming here, people haven't been able to travel. So it's been very hard to actually recruit and build a team here in Australia. In parallel, 
With that, you've also seen a huge amount of investment in technology in the last 12 months in Australia, specifically in a lot of scale-ups going from sort of, you know, C to D to E rounds and the combination of closed borders, a lot of capital coming in has basically pushed salaries up significantly in every sort of city in Australia. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of seeing a combination of tight labour market, increasing labour costs and highly competitive market for talent, you know. So, you know, really that's kind of the the biggest input is sort of labour because the reality is we've got a very scalable technology platform. The platform's scalable and you can be quite efficient with the team. You don't need 50 engineers. You can actually do a lot with 10 or 15 and actually move a lot faster as you start to add more engineers, your output and your performance can slow down. So the biggest input is labour and the cost of labour going up here and overseas, every market, even offshore in uh, traditional economies like, you know, throughout Asia and Europe where you might have more cost-effective teams, those costs are going up as well. So I think everyone's being challenged. All the founders I know have the same problems and challenges we do, which is labour and labour costs. Absolutely. I do think that's the common theme that we're hearing across the space and hopefully we can uh, end that gap soon. Let's move on to some of the strategies for growth. What should we think about as the key drivers looking forward? Is it about penetrating further into the organisations here on Australia and New Zealand? Is it more about offshore expansion? How do you think about that roadmap? Yeah, it's a combination of all of the above. A lot of time here we've got a really strong healthy pipeline we've got some really exciting brands that we'll be announcing in the coming weeks and months that we've been working with so building on that footprint also to given the network effect that primex has as we talked about before you have a seller that net on boards their buy side universe an example over in new zealand we're north of 350 400 buyers for one user alone those buyers are using a platform offshore they may then on-sell that product into their market. So now you've got the double effect whereby the buyer becomes the seller and obviously keeping it within the family, the buyer with their buyer in market would be on Primex. So you're able to then replicate that network effect. So we're seeing that the future growth aspirations and potential is exponential. So we're expanding the footprint here. We're ramping up and expanding to numerous countries, also the different buying types, whether they be wholesalers, whether they be butchers, food services, et cetera, et cetera. We're reaching into all different aspects of the growth. But also, too, one of the big differentiators for us is that we're not so much commodity-driven, okay? Mm -hmm. So we're very much on the branded side. We're very much on the branded heritage, the look and feel, the story, the traceability, the provenance. And what we're seeing is a lot of interest from other soft commodities. Okay, so yes, we've gone long in beef. Yes, we're here in red meat and that is growing. But we've had a lot of interest from other, say, soft commodity businesses or industries that don't necessarily want to trade on an exchange because they see that that commoditizes the product, depreciates the value of the product, depreciates the value of the brand. So we're being approached by a number of other um, industries, if you will, even if there is, say, a primary exchange, they want to brand it, put it under their lid, whatever that product might be, and then sell it in a secondary market on a more private, intimate B2B way. That's Primex Connect. So not only do we have the footprint and expansion that we're experiencing here locally with the red meat, globally with the red meat, the network effect within the red meat, we're also seeing that a branded B2B sales and auto management software for other soft commodities is of significant interest as well. And that's exciting. The opportunities there and the conversations we're having around that are really exciting. Fantastic. And the last question I'll just ask is around 
M&A. Some of the businesses always see that as a, a way of growth. Um, how do you think about M&A in the future? Exactly as you said there. I think it's a fantastic tool and asset to have for growth potential. And we are looking at that. You know, we're looking at other partners. Primex is very much a proud card-carrying member of the Australian and, I guess, global ag tech community. Mm. We have built our technology in order to work with our friends out there, whether that be imagery providers, blockchain providers, ear tag providers, cold stores, it doesn't matter to us. If there is value in big data for the betterment of the industry to make smarter decisions, faster decisions, and then us providing data sets or even single data points out to partners out there to complement their data sets for enrichment of their customer, we're all up for that. So we're all about partnership. We're all about growing as part of that ag tech ecosystem. But also we do have an eye on some of these partners that we're working with that maybe we don't want to go off and build, say, an aspect of the supply chain that we might be standing next to or underneath or above. So, yeah, absolutely, there's an eye for what we can potentially acquire or work with for that growth, whether that be growth of functionality or, as you said, tapping into an additional market. Yeah, fantastic. And then I will ask if anybody did want to see your software in practice, is it a matter of going to the website or how can they go and see that? Yeah, that's a very timely uh, question, Elise, because we're just about to release a pretty cool explainer on our website that we've just rebranded, which we're really proud of. It's not a traditional explainer by any means. It's a bit of fun, but it is serious. It is about our industry. So, yeah, absolutely. PrimexConnect.com, all the info is there, but also too, any of the industry participants out there wanting to have a look, we are more than happy to roll out demonstrations, et cetera, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, with everything that's gone on the last little while, we haven't been able to do that in person. But yeah, I mean, the team's there ready, willing and able to assist where we can. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Jean-Claude Abouchard, as well as Michael Chandler. We really appreciate your time and look forward to seeing your progress over the next couple of months. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Elise. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.